This morning we're in Acts chapter 6, and we're going to look at the first part of that as we move our way through the book of Acts. Um, you know, I, I think we're, we're all older here. We know that gro- growing up is hard. I remember as a teenager, or as a kid, there was a show on TV called Growing Pains. Maybe you remember it or, or not. In fact, one of the kids that was in that show, Kurt Cameron, is now a believer and, and a very public spokesman of, of Jesus Christ, which is great. But it was a show about how the various difficulties of growing up and uh, not just growing up as a kid, but as parents and, and all that and learning how to do those those uh, difficult things and growing up because families can be a place of, of uh, tension. Uh, you know, we've got sibling rivalries that, that go on. I remember as my mum likes to remind my brother and I of the, opportun- of the time we, uh, we were just really getting on each other's nerves and we finally had enough of each other. So we went into each other's rooms and just started throwing stuff out of the room into the hall. By the end of that, the mattresses were in the hall and everything was just out there. Because life can be difficult and troublesome and, and tense growing up in houses together. And growing older itself has its own tensions and its own challenges that we face. It's, we face new things and find new challenges. Every stage of life has its difficulties. But of course, we know that even though it's difficult and there's challenges we face and things that come, growing is necessary. We can't stay where we were and not move on just because it's hard to do uh, and what's ahead of us. You know, if we're not growing, something is wrong. In fact, there is a growing area of study in psychology and and social sciences these days uh, called, what, what are they calling it now, emerging or delayed adulthood. That is that that we're now as as children grow up, we're delaying that stage where we become more responsible for ourselves and move out and get jobs and and just how do they say just adult, and that's getting later and later in life, uh, and it's being delayed because we're looking at what life is like and it looks daunting and it looks hard, and so we delay some of those responsibilities. Growing and growth in any aspect of life can be difficult. And it's important how we deal with those challenges when we face them and what happens in growth. And the early church is no different. It's growing phenomenally. By the time we get here to Acts chapter 6, most commentators and scholars suggest that the church now is somewhere around 25,000 people. So it's just growing phenomenally and rapidly and, and with that, that great growth, while it is magnificent, it means people are getting saved and things are happening, it also brings a fair number of challenges and issues. We've seen, though, that as, as the gospel has gone out and as the church has begun to, to grow from the day of Pentecost on, that God has protected the church through those things and the challenges that have come. Some of those have been challenges from outside the church, some from inside. Now, here, as we come to chapter 6, we meet a challenge from within the church that genuinely has the potential to destroy it. That could be, if this wasn't dealt with right and wasn't looked at right and, and followed through, the growing pains they experienced here could have genuinely destroyed the church. And so what we see here is we see the way that it is handled teaches us a great deal. Let's read through. We're just going to read through the first seven verses of Acts chapter six. 
It says here, now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Fathers, we come to your word. We ask for your guidance, for understanding. We pray, dear God, that as we find challenges in here, that we would humble ourselves as we are encouraged here. May we be thankful. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. There is here in this church at the time a difficulty that arises that we see, and there needs to be some way to grow through this. And that's why I've titled our um, thoughts this morning, Growing Through Difficulty. Because the first thing we notice here in Acts chapter 6 is that there is a growing problem. As the church is growing, it faces some growing pains and some growing problems. With this problem, there is the threat of division. There's a threat of division here. The diversity in the church is increasing, as you would expect. So as this church grows from a small group of 120 and booms to now over 20,000 people, there is a growing diversity in this church as more and more people are reached. Jesus began the church with a diversity of men. The 12 he chose at the beginning were from various backgrounds and, and some extremely different backgrounds and understanding. As Jesus began to, to minister and continued in his ministry, what he was building when it became to 120 there at the end grew in diversity through his ministry. So it included people that were rich and, and, and poor. It included men and, and women, and these were all of very different backgrounds. Some highly religious, others steeped in, in obvious sin. But while Jesus was there and this, this little group was growing in diverse ways, Jesus was there to guide them and teach them through that and help them work through the issues that they had. But now Jesus is gone and the church is still growing and it's still growing in diversity, but they don't have Jesus there to help them work through their issues, to correct them and guide them in the flesh like he was while he was on earth. You know, the beauty of the church is in uniting people of of differences in one heart. That is one of the beauties of what God does in a church. Diversity in a church is is not just beautiful, it's also necessary. We can't all be the same. The church isn't a club for people like me or like you. It's meant to be diverse. But while this diversity is increasing, <clears throat> pardon me, and, and it's growing and it's looking beautiful and things are, are happening, 
it has the potential to divide. Un unity in diversity isn't easy. So here we have a problem that arises between the Hebrews in the church and the Hellenists in the church. Now, just so we know what that, that means, when he describes Hebrews, this is Jews who predominantly lived in Israel, probably in Jerusalem or very nearly around it. They spoke, their language that they spoke predominantly was Aramaic. That was the, the language of the Jewish people. And so they would worship in the temples and speak to one another in Aramaic. They were still very, very much Jewish in their culture, in the way they lived, because they lived in the land. The other group that's described here, you have the Hebrews, and then it says the Hellenists. The Hellenists are the Jews of the dispersion. So that is, they are the Jews who were sent through various things through the years out into the Gentile world. So they didn't live and probably weren't born in Israel, but around. And at some point, maybe for the feasts or maybe for work, they had made their way back into Jerusalem here and had resettled there. Now, because they had been born or lived outside of Israel, their predominant language wasn't Aramaic, it was Greek. That was the language of the world at the time. You know, and while the Hebrews in the land would speak a little Greek, predominantly they were speaking Aramaic. But it also meant because they had lived and grown up in other nations and other countries, they, while they still held on to large parts of their Jewish culture, they had also assimilated in a lot of the, the culture and a lot of the ways of the Gentile people where they lived. So they were kind of a mix. So there was a little bit of a difference there. They would have many commonalities. Because they still held their, their Jewishness and they still held on to much of the religion they had and what they'd learned, they had a lot of commonalities. But because they'd grown up in different places and had assimilated different ideas and different cultures into the way they lived, it also meant that there were a lot of differences among them in the way that they lived. It is possible, some commentators uh, suggest that maybe at this time, because of this, uh, this growth and the way it worked, because so many were speaking Greek and so many were speaking Aramaic, that it's possible that maybe we're starting to see here in chapter 6 a slight uh, parting come and two groups being developed in the church, those that spoke Greek and those that spoke Aramaic, and maybe it was starting to divide a little bit. The problem that arises as a result of these two groups and the two different ways of life here is that the church is looking after the widows as they were expected to and as we have seen before but as we see in in verse 2 the widows of the Hellenists seem to be neglected they don't seem to be getting the same care that the widows of the Hebrews are getting now you can see the potential for disaster there if you are part of a group and it seems to you that your interests and that your people that you care about are being neglected or others are being treated seemingly better than you are, the potential for, for trouble there is large. Perhaps at first, as many people seem to look and think uh, about this, perhaps the first thought is that this is a race issue. Well, they're not really Jews because they're outside and they've got all these Greek things. They're, they're not like us. 
here. So maybe some are thinking that. Maybe some are thinking, well, there's, there's bias, bias or prejudice being expressed here. And that's the reason, because they do, in fact, see themselves as better than the others. And there's neglect because of prejudice or bias of some sort. Certainly, this is fertile ground for the work of Satan. There's an old saying, you know, the, the devil is in the details. And here we might understand that, that saying in, in this term, and that is the devil can be at work in the details. It is in the, the little things, the little parts of life that come in a church can be uh, certainly fertile working grounds for Satan. To this point in Acts already, Satan has tried to destroy the church through persecution. We've seen that in previous chapters. And that didn't work. God used that to grow the church. And then when that didn't work, we saw Satan try and, uh, and manipulate and, and, and destroy the church by uh, expressing sin in the church through Ananias and Sapphira and, and seeing that. But God quickly came in and judged that so that the people would see what his honor deserved, and the result of that was the church grew. So here we are at a different place. Now we're not seeing persecution from the outside, and and we're not really seeing here the effects of corruption or sin. In We're seeing seeing the, the, the potential for division, to divide. Division in churches is disastrous. Sometimes... Division in churches happens over doctrine, and sometimes that is necessary and that is good. But usually, more often than not, division happens in churches over smaller issues, over details, over mistakes. Things that can be fixed, things that could uh, be simply overlooked or mistakes by those within. Inward division has become one of Satan's greatest tools in interfering with God's mission. Now, not only do we have the issue here of the threat of division, but the threat of division comes because there is an increasing distraction here. So verse 1, of course, tells us, Now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Says in verse 2, then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Practical ministry is important. The, the practical nature of serving people is important. But the issue here, as we see, isn't doctrinal. So the division that, that could potentially come isn't about what they were teaching. They were hearing the teaching of the apostles. They were learning. They were growing. So the division isn't about doctrine. The division here is about the practical nature of the church. Now, don't misunderstand the words of the apostles here in verse 2 when it says, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. They are not dismissing the need for practical ministry. So they're not saying it's below us to be doing this sort of thing. And we can see that as the passage goes on. That's clear from from what happens. In fact, James, who the brother of Christ, who would soon become the pastor of the church, writes in in his letter in chapter 2, verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So the apostles aren't saying, look, this practical 
stuff. This stuff, that's beneath us. We don't do that. That's not what they're saying. Part of how we show our faith is serving one another in love. So the, the apostles are not saying this problem is irrelevant. They're, they're not saying, oh, look, it just shouldn't be an issue. Uh, and, and just don't worry, but just get on with it and do your work. They're not brushing it aside. In fact, the church, the church is about personal interactions. It's a place that we would expect to be loved, to feel appreciated. It's a place where we would expect to find support and care. The concerns of the Hellenists here, that their widows are being neglected, is legitimate. It's real, and it should be taken seriously, and the apostles are going to do exactly that. But what they want to focus on or show us at the beginning is that their job leading the pastoring needs focus. The problem is, how does a church meet the many and varied needs of a church, particularly a church like this, growing so rapidly? The problem didn't arise because the apostles were deliberately neglecting the widows of the Hellenists. This wasn't a deliberate choice. This wasn't an issue about race or bias or prejudice. This wasn't intentional. This was organizational. This wasn't a problem that they intended or that they were looking to do or was part of their bias. It was simply a problem that arose because the church was growing and they couldn't keep up with all the work. The church isn't meant to be a business, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't need structure and organization. The apostles didn't realize there was a problem. They didn't recognize that this was happening. You know, godly leaders with good hearts who are working hard for God and serving people make mistakes. That's what we see with the apostles. Essentially what we have here is a group of the church coming to the apostles and saying, look, man, you've dropped the ball. There's a problem. It's not working out. They didn't realize that there was a problem. But the great love and humility that we see here moves this forward and makes it right. The 12 were humble enough to recognize the issue and to acknowledge the problem. The church, on the other side, recognized the heart of the apostles and didn't assume the worst of them. So they didn't come to the apostles and say, you're neglecting our widows. You guys are a bunch of wicked people who are just trying to get rid of us. They saw the best in them. They, they went to them and the apostles recognized, yes, we've missed it. We've missed the boat here. We need to do something about it. Sometimes our leaders forget things. Sometimes our leaders forget people. Sometimes things get slipped through the cracks or get delayed. You know, it's the, the problem of multitasking. You know, we, we have laws here. It's illegal to drive and use your phone at the same time because using your phone while you're driving is distracting. You know, studies show, recent studies show that just 2.5% of people can multitask efficiently. The rest of us just cannot do it. We don't do any of the jobs well. 
And this is what's happening here at the church. The apostles are multitasking and they're not doing any of it well. They're being distracted. No one can do everything well. It is impossible to deal with all of the practical things well and to study the word of God well because both will suffer when you try to do both. But here this gives opportunity for growth. The growing problem gives an opportunity for growth, for deepening discipleship in serving each other. So what is the answer? What's the answer here to their their problem? The Hellenists could have done what many people in our culture and our society do, and that is, well, clearly you're not looking after us here. We're going to go start our own church, and we're going to be the Hellenist church of Jerusalem because you're not looking after us and you're not meeting our needs, so we will go. The problem is too many want a church that will have someone else deal with their issues. That church has better music or better Sunday school or better activities or better youth or better functions. And few consider being the answer to their issues. The grace and humility of this church sees them work together to come to a stronger place. The love between the people allowed them to serve each other for the benefit of all. So here was the plan they came up with. The apostles acknowledged the problem. And they also acknowledged their inability to fix it. Said We, we cannot do more of the table serving. When it says uh, serving tables, it's a word which doesn't just mean um, doing jobs or, or ministering, but it also has to do with money matters. and It's all that, it's admin. We might, we might put in their administration. They recognize that they're unable to do all of that. So they ask the church, find some people among you that can do it. Because here's the problem. We can't fix it. So let's find somebody that can from among us. They find seven men. Probably these seven men that are listed in verse 5 are already men who have risen to leadership amongst the Hellenists because they're recognized as men who have the qualities that are needed. Their job isn't to lead the church, but to serve the church, to do the jobs that are needed to be servant leaders. There is a question that arises with this passage. Were these the first deacons? The officer of deacons. The deacons are spoken of in terms of a church office in First Timothy chapter 3. They are servants of the church and servants to the leadership of the church. I think they were. But the text doesn't make it absolutely certain that this is the first place we see the office of a deacon. Whether they are the first ones to fill the office of deacons or not, certainly there is no doubt that they carried out the function of deacons. That is, they served the needs of the people. They led in serving the needs of the people. The office of deacon, in terms of the office of a deacon, is never commanded in Scripture. What is commanded, though, is the function of a deacon. The word deacon simply means servant. That's what it means, a servant. This is what our mission is about, making disciples, loving one another in the spirit of service. So they chose the men from among them. 
The church was developing servant leaders already within their group. The church chose these men because they recognized they had the qualities. Part of our job as a church is to develop leaders in our church. When I was growing up, you know, as a, a young man, as a teenager, we had a program in the church I grew up in. And as a result, I, I worked in the church creche, uh, and I, I was an usher, and I helped count the offering. And there was all these things where, where elders would take me, and they would, they would help and teach. And all of the young people that were involved in the program, which was uh, many, would do all these little jobs. Which is why I love seeing around here, we've got, you know, when the family's not, not well, which is most of the time, we've got Ewan who, who helps with uh, doing IT stuff and being taught that stuff. And, and Anea who helps sing and, and, and Esther and things like that. And the young people that, that, each, that people are taking and teaching and helping and encouraging to do things. This is what we do. This is discipleship. Taking what we can do and developing leaders, servant leaders within our midst. There are many ways that I see this at work, this servant heart, this servant attitude here in our church. Leadership is important. The qualities that are set out here, the qualifications for serving were high. So when they said we need to find somebody to do this, the the job description they gave didn't come out and say, all right, we need people who have a track record of logistics because we've got to be able to get the food in and the resources in and we've got to have an efficient way to get it out to where it needs to go so that nobody gets missed again. So on top of the list, they need to be, uh, be good at logistics. We need people that are good with admin because we've got to be able to keep track of where it's going and who's had this and who's had that. And, and we, they really need to have leadership skills so that they can direct people and, and get the job done. So at the top of our list of qualifications, that's it. None of those, in fact, appear on the qualifications they were asked for. The qualifications they asked for are firstly spiritual ones, that they be full of the spirit and wisdom. They were looking for people who loved God deeply, who showed that they pursued God, and who had a heart to do the work of God. We're not at churches just trying to give people something to do. It's not about come to church, we've got something for you to do. It's not about something to do. We're serving to help people be more like Christ, to learn and grow like him, so that... Verse 4 could be true. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the apostles could be devoted to God's word. Here, they give the priorities of pastors. Where did they need, why did they need these people? Why did they need these seven to do that? Why couldn't we just expect the apostles to work harder or be more organized? They were already spending every day, almost the entire day in the temple teaching. Though it's important, and though those things are the important, the apostles weren't called to spend all their time dealing with money issues and admin. Call of the apostles was to lead the church and to feed the people of God. Does it include practical? Of course it does. Includes That's why the Bible talks about uh, leadership in churches as being pastors, which means to shepherd. It includes the practical, but without the word of God, 
without the word of God being taught and grown, the practical ministry is empty. We just become a charity. Ministry of the word of God is of supreme importance. I've been reading a, a book by, by David Platt called Something Needs to Change. And in this, uh, this book, he, he's writing about his trek through the parts of the, the Himalayan mountains. And he's there with a, a man who, who serves and ministers in these villages all along this trek through the Himalayan mountains. And as he's moving through these, he's seeing the, the great need, the physical need in these, these towns where, where you're, there, there is suffering and there is hunger and there is, there is a lack of work and, and there is genuine horrors happening to the young people in these villages. And he asked his guide as he, they're going through, who's the man who works there and ministers there, he says, what, what can we do to help? How do I help this? What, what can we give? How do we, we get the things that they need to them? The man who's leading him through there has been part of that, and he has been uh, setting up medical stations and, and, and medic houses and schools and resources to them along the way. But he showed him an example of what they need one night. The biggest help they needed, said, was planting churches. And he showed them one night a church where people were hiking up in the dark two hours up a steep mountain to be to church at night and then have to hike back down. And these people gathered and they sung and they prayed and they, they listened to the word of God. And then as they were praying to one another, there was this, this moment where he watched as someone would say, I need prayer for this, and someone else would say, I know exactly what you're going through. I can help you. Why did he say they needed churches? Because as the churches were built, the people began to care for one another. The needs that they had were being met through one another as they served one another. Being a pastor means caring for the needs of people and ministering to those in need, but the primary role is to study and teach God's word. You're I know sometimes my family looks at me and, and they say his, his work seems to be just sitting in a chair a lot. He just seems to be sitting there daydreaming. And I do. I sit and I read and I think. And I read and I think and pray. God hasn't called or gifted me to cook meals. And if you've eaten my food, you know that's true. He's called me to preach, to pray. And to serve God's people in the word of God. The purpose of their priorities? Ephesians chapter 4 tells us the purpose of why the disciples said this. In Ephesians 4 verse 11, it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, and some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Why is this the way? Why did the disciples say, the apostles say, we need somebody else to do that so that we can focus on the word and prayer? Because somebody needs to serve the people of God in equipping them with the word of God. 
pastors and leaders in churches pray over the word of God as we, we preach it. And we, we do that so that not just so that words go out or so that we can be eloquent, but we pray over the word of God so that it will equip each other to build one another, to minister. I love how through the book of Acts, there are a few times where it says that God added to the church, but so often through the book of Acts, it says that he multiplied or that the, the, the disciples were multiplied because God is not an adder. God is a multiplier. As leaders and as people equip the people of God to serve, then those people go out. And not only is now is it a one plus one plus one scenario, it's a one times ten scenario. God is a multiplier, not an adder. Every part of church structure is about service, which shows us the last part, which is the results in a growing testimony. Verse 7 of our text in Acts chapter 6 ends with this way. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. You see that? So we start with a place where the potential is for the church to be split and for disaster to happen. We end with not that, not a disaster, not a separation, not a split, but growth. Multiplication happens. The disciples were multiplied People were saved. As people multiplied their service, it multiplied their effectiveness. This didn't just happen to those to, to help those in the church. It enabled the gospel to reach more people. So as the church served one another, right? So the problem we have here at the beginning is in the church. But as the people minister to meet the problems in the church, the gospel spreads outside of it. And more are saved as a result. People were saved. The gospel was spread. In Acts chapter 6, we see a turning point. Well, not a turning point, but a branching point. So up to Acts chapter 6, most of the Christianity has been in Jerusalem. We are now seeing here at Acts chapter 6 the gospel start to break out of Jerusalem. Comes here and the, the Hellenists are, are there, those Greek-speaking people. We're soon going to see it explode out from here. It starts with the Hellenists. We're soon going to see it go into the Samaritans. From the Samaritans, we're going to see it uh, go to the Ethiopians through Philip in Acts chapter 8. And then after that, when we come to Acts chapter 9, so we're moving out of Jerusalem, we're expanding to Samaria, then to places in Ethiopia and around the world, and then Paul comes, and the gospel just spreads like fire to the rest of the world. God is using all of these things to take what he did in this small group of people in Jerusalem to spread the world, the word through the world, and their faith was deepened. What happened as a result of all this? It started at a point where the church wasn't being served. The people work through love and grace together. The church is served. The needs are met and a disaster is avoided. Thanks to the work of grace in the lives of their people. What happened here is the effect of the gospel. 
the work of God's grace, the work of God within the people of God makes the, the gospel effective. And rather than thinking the worst of each other in this church, they chose to show grace and to serve one another. You know, nobody can do the ministry alone. Nobody can serve people alone. Our neighborhood will not be filled with the doctrine of Jesus Christ until we all serve for the glory of God together and for the sake of the gospel. As we are served by the ministry of the word of God and serve each other, God will grow. God grows through our service. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word and to see your magnificent power in your people of old. How you can take difficulties that arise in our lives personally and in our lives corporately and you can make these things for our greater good. And not just for our greater good, but for your glory and the salvation of those in the world. We thank you for these testimonies, these examples. And we pray, dear God, that as we continue to minister to one another and continue to grow in the word of God, that you would grow us in Christ and we would be able to reach more with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.